This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode contains graphic descriptions of animal cruelty, medical experiments, and criminality that some people may find disturbing. We advise caution for listeners under 13. Another quick note before we get started, researcher Ivan Pavlov studied numerous dogs but kept no formal records of their names. For this episode, we'll be using pseudonyms for all of Pavlov's dogs. Nina lay her head over her paws, alone in the dark laboratory. The scientists had gone home for the night. Usually, Nina would sleep in her kennel, but the researchers had segregated her from the other dogs. Her skin was covered in painful rashes, and the scientists didn't know if they were contagious. All night long, Nina couldn't sleep. She couldn't think of anything besides the stinging sores. It didn't help that there was no way to get comfortable. Every way she stretched or flopped pressed tender wounds against the hard, cold floor. Eventually, she'd had enough. She needed something soft to lie on. So Nina began to scratch at the wall. When the scientists returned to the laboratory in the morning, they found Nina relaxed and comfortable, sleeping soundly on a pile of mortar. Researcher Ivan Pavlov was irritated at the damage she'd caused, but when he examined her, he discovered that her wounds were healing. The porous mortar had dried Nina's oozing scabs, Astonishingly, she'd instinctively solved a problem that had plagued his team of highly educated scientists for weeks. As he ordered the other researchers to install beds of sawdust or sand in every kennel, Pavlov marveled at the dog's ingenuity. Her canine instincts were as good as any study or experiment. It was a lesson Pavlov would need to learn again and again to trust the unquantifiable wisdom of a dog. Welcome to Dog Tales, a podcast original. Every week, we tell the stories of historic, heroic canines. We'll profile dogs who saved people from earthquakes, went to outer space, and even spurred the invention of Velcro. If you're looking for fun stories and a warm heart, you're barking up the right tree. I'm your host, Alastair. 
You can find episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dog Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This week, we'll explore the lives of Ivan Pavlov and the dogs he experimented on. Conditions in his labs were brutal and few of his subjects survived. But those dogs who did helped unlock the science of digestion as well as the mind. Ivan Pavlov is known as the father of classical conditioning. Today, he's famous for his experiments on dogs, including one that forms a cornerstone of behavioral therapy. But Pavlov learned about conditioned reflexes almost by accident. Originally, he'd been trying to study digestion. Science was Pavlov's passion. He wanted to discover how the world worked. In fact, his focus and intensity made it hard for Pavlov to make friends. Michael Spector with The New Yorker summarized his colleagues' takes. Pavlov was a volatile child, a difficult student, and frequently a nasty adult. As for Pavlov, it's likely he didn't mind his unpopularity. He didn't appear to have time for socializing and making friends. He didn't seem to think emotions were all that interesting. He was dedicated to proving one thing that anything worth knowing could be studied or analyzed in a lab. Topics that couldn't be methodically tested, from religion to poetry to civil rights, were immediately dismissed. In 1884, 35-year-old Ivan Pavlov began a study program at the Heidenhain Laboratories in Breslau. He wanted to learn how the digestive system worked, but he wasn't just interested in digestion, he wanted to unlock the secrets of the human body as a whole. In the late 19th century, a lot of medical research was conducted via trial and error. If someone got sick with an inexplicable new illness or injury, doctors just had to guess until they found the right treatment. This rarely worked out well for the ill person. But Pavlov believed that physicians could improve their treatments and cures with a better understanding of the human body. The problem was, only so much could be learned from autopsies. Pavlov wanted to see how all of the organs and tissues worked in a subject that was still alive. Because his research was highly invasive and dangerous, Pavlov and his team declined to experiment on humans. Instead, they used dogs as their research subjects. Pavlov believed dogs were higher animals because of the complexity of their brains, which hopefully meant their biology was comparable to humans. Dogs were also easy to house and take care of, making them ideal for experiments. So, in order to understand digestion, Pavlov wanted to watch the stomach work in real time. That meant performing a shocking experiment on his dogs, removing the stomach while it was still connected to the rest of the digestive system. When the canine woke up from surgery, it would find its organs were on the outside. And ideally, they still worked. 
The problem was that even though the stomachs were still fully connected to the dog's digestive systems, they didn't function. Every dog died of starvation or complications from surgery within a few days of the procedure. The research was emotionally draining. Not only were dogs dying, they suffered through their final days. Pavlov's collaborator, Rudolf Heidenhain, complains that his experiments were rich in victimized dogs and poor in results. But Pavlov only became more motivated. He too hated to see the dogs die. Not because he felt bad for them, but because all of the time and resources he'd spent on surgery had gone to waste. In his journal, he wrote, During experiments, when the animal, having recovered from its operation, is under lengthy observation, the dog is irreplaceable. So he tried to figure out how to keep his subjects alive. He watched them carefully in their final days. Eventually, he'd find some clue about what was killing them. Then he could fix the problem. Eventually, Pavlov found out that the problem had to do with nerves on the dog's stomach. He'd assumed that the digestive system was just one long direct process. Food starts in the mouth, travels down the throat, hits the stomach, and so on. But in actuality, all of the organs in the digestive system were always talking to each other. So the moment a piece of food hit a dog's tongue, the stomach, the intestines, the kidneys, and everything else prepared to start digesting. They were communicating through the nervous system. And when Pavlov disconnected those nerves in surgery, the dog's stomach didn't know what to do once the food reached it. With this new information, he worked out a way to pull the dog's stomachs out of their bodies without severing the nerves. His subjects stayed alive, and finally, he could study digestion long-term via what he called chronic experiments. In other words, he used the same dogs over and over again in many different studies because it was too difficult to find new subjects. Through all his research, Pavlov and his team kept careful, incredibly detailed records. The extensive notes covered what time Pavlov ate every day, how many cups of tea he drank at four o'clock each afternoon, and even updates on how Pavlov's personal garden was doing. But a few key details were missing. There's no single mention in the 855 pages of laboratory notes of a dog's name, breed, or disposition. Somehow, Pavlov and his colleagues completely missed the dog's experiences when evaluating how their experiments worked. This spoke to the predominant attitude in Pavlov's labs. It seemed like the dogs simply didn't matter. They were just objects to be experimented upon. And without any record keeping, today we can only guess at how traumatic it was for those dogs. Maybe they were confused or scared when they came out of surgery to find their stomachs outside their bodies. Maybe they shied away when Pavlov gave them a scratch behind the ears. Or maybe Pavlov didn't even bother to show that much kindness, and his canine companions longed for a friendly touch. There is one thing we do know about the studies. Pavlov's earliest surgeries were just the start of a much longer career. 
Once he discovered the connection between the nervous system and digestion, he was driven to uncover more about how organs communicate with one another. For the dogs, that meant they were about to face even more unspeakable, torturous procedures. Coming up, Pavlov escalates his research. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Now, back to Pavlov and his dogs. Ivan Pavlov was, essentially, a real-life mad scientist. His digestive studies meant he was often trying to find ways to keep dogs alive with key organs outside their bodies. Through trial and error, he found a way to reuse his liveliest subjects in multiple studies. In 1891, 50-year-old Pavlov moved from Heidenheim Laboratories to the Institute of Experimental Medicine in St. Petersburg. There, he became director of the Department of Physiology. But the new job didn't slow down his studies. He continued to build on his earlier findings. For example, Pavlov knew that the stomach started making digestive juices at some point after he put food in a dog's mouth, but he didn't know how long it took, or if that length of time could be changed, or if something like, say, the amount of saliva the dog made had any impact on how much digestive fluid it produced. And Pavlov wasn't just satisfying his curiosity. All of these questions were cornerstones of bigger questions about physiology, or the study of how different organ systems functioned. His discovery about the connection between the nervous system and the digestive system had been huge. Now, it was time to unlock more mysteries of how different organs all work together. Since he was already familiar with dogs, Pavlov opted to stick with what he knew. He collected as many new canine subjects as he could get his hands on. The breed didn't matter. Neither did their disposition. So long as the dog was healthy and easy to deal with, Pavlov was willing to study it. It was difficult to gather dogs, and Pavlov didn't have the time to do it himself. He put out the word that he would buy any dogs for sale. Soon, people began pouring in with unwanted strays they'd found on the streets. But it's said, even those dogs weren't enough for Pavlov. He allegedly turned to an unorthodox source, thieves. They'd swipe pets from yards and houses in exchange for a generous payout from Pavlov. Eventually, 
he had a steady supply of dogs, some of whom arrived at the laboratory still wearing the collars from their previous loving owners. If Pavlov felt any guilt about experimenting upon and often killing beloved pets, he didn't convey that in his journals. In one entry, he wrote, No doubt we shared the onus of the sin with the thieves. His use of the word sin was probably ironic, as Pavlov was an outspoken atheist who rejected concepts of God and sin alike. In his mind, all that mattered was the pursuit of scientific knowledge, and nothing would stand in his way. Pavlov performed surgery after surgery on former strays and pets alike. He wanted to study digestive juices themselves, saliva and stomach acid. But he didn't know how to collect them without killing the subject. So he had to learn by trial and error. During his research, at least 30 different dogs died painfully, sometimes quickly of surgical complications, and sometimes slowly of malnutrition or infection. Pavlov did whatever he could to keep the dogs alive. Every time a subject died, it meant he'd have to start from the beginning with a new one. They weren't easy to come by or cheap, and every time he bought a new subject, he had to start over from scratch, preparing them for surgery and acclimating them to the lab. Even Pavlov had to admit that the subjects needed a safe, warm, comfortable place to sleep, play, and recover from surgery. In an effort to save lives, Pavlov became very strict about how his colleagues treated the dogs. Ironically, he never seemed to accept that the canines' lives or comfort were valuable in and of themselves. For practical purposes, he housed them in a row of cabinets. Each was 15 feet wide and at least 11 and a half feet tall. They had a large window, ventilation and electric lighting. If it was cold, they were easily heated. In order to keep the cabinets clean, a water pipe with a bunch of holes in it ran along the back wall and could be turned on to wash out anything dirty. For the most part, the cabinets were comfortable. A healthy dog might have found the area restrictive. There wasn't enough space to run and no toys to keep them entertained. But for a test subject just out of surgery, who just needed to sleep and recover, they were perfect. With the new setup, Pavlov was able to keep more dogs alive as he researched digestive glands and collected their fluids. It was a great breakthrough for him, a way to continue his studies. But for his subjects, that just meant they lived longer to undergo ever more painful and dangerous experiments. Let's imagine Pavlov just acquired a new dog named Boris. He's in good health, well-fed, his previous owners really loved him. As soon as he arrived at the laboratory, Boris would go straight into a washroom. Because Pavlov didn't have the money to pay for lab assistance, surgeons would wash Boris and brush his hair. The most important thing was that his incision site was clean and shaved. From there, Boris would be sent to surgery. To collect his digestive juices, Pavlov cut a small hole in Boris's belly. The incision was along the path that fluids flow from the pancreas to the intestine. After Boris had a few days to recover from the first procedure, 
Pavlov attached a thin tube to the hole to divert the fluid out of Boris's body. He had to be as still as possible, which was a problem because he was awake for the procedure. Pavlov used a wooden frame and ropes to constrain him in a standing position. Then, while the nervous pup shivered in the frame, Pavlov would snap an elastic band around his body. The band held a funnel against Boris's torso to collect the oozing fluid. Once everything was in place, Pavlov, the team, and the subject just had to wait for the digestive juices to flow. Boris would quickly become exhausted while standing in the frames. When he was tired, he got fidgety and irritable. So Pavlov built a shelf to hold his head. It allowed him to fall asleep while standing up as his digestive juices were being collected. So far, as Boris and the other dogs were concerned, it wasn't a good situation. And the pain and discomfort continued even after Pavlov had all the fluid he needed. He had no way to stop it from flowing. After he finished his collection, acidic digestive enzymes would ooze out of wounds, burning the dog's skin and fur. Pavlov didn't know how to solve the problem, but in 1895, a dog figured it out for him. One night, she was left out of her cell. After the researchers all went home, she dug a hole in the wall, then slept on a bed of plaster. After two nights in a row of this, the dog's wounds began to heal. She'd instinctively figured something out that Pavlov hadn't determined in all his studies. Porous materials could keep her wounds dry. Even Pavlov was impressed with the dog's problem-solving ability. He mused, We acknowledged with gratitude that the intelligence of the animal had helped us as well as itself. Unfortunately, the dog was only delaying the inevitable. Now that she and the other subjects weren't suffering from rashes and irritation, they could survive three to four weeks of stomach acid donations. But then, inevitably, they all got sick. They refused to eat and suffered sudden and involuntary muscle contractions. Two to three days after the symptoms began, the dogs died. Pavlov reasoned that they weren't getting enough nutrients. He wasn't sure what they were missing exactly, but it had to be something in their pancreatic juices. The problem was, he couldn't spare any fluid and still finish his experiments. Since he couldn't change the dog's digestion, he had to change their diet instead. His team experimented with different types of food and kept track of whether or not the dog's health improved. Finally, through trial and error, they designed a diet of bread, milk, and supplements of sodium bicarbonate, also known as baking soda. Pavlov was never sure why his dogs had gotten sick in the first place or why that specific diet helped. Whatever the reason, on the new meal plan, his subjects live months or even years after their procedures. Finally, he could collect digestive juices regularly without killing dogs. But even that breakthrough wasn't enough to satisfy Pavlov. Now he could collect stomach acids, but he wanted a way to keep them pure. The issue was, dogs produced digestive fluid when they ate 
but the fluid Pavlov collected had bits of undigested food in it. To get around this issue, he performed esophagectomies on his dogs. That meant Pavlov surgically cut the dog's esophagus, the tube that connects the mouth to the stomach. When the dogs ate, the food they swallowed would fall out of the hole in their necks. Meanwhile, Pavlov kept the dogs alive by inserting the food directly into their stomachs. And through this process, Pavlov confirmed his earlier theory that the entire digestive system worked as a whole. Even though the food that went in the dog's mouth never made it to the stomach, the canine began producing digestive fluid at the same time they started making saliva. And by feeding his dogs, Pavlov could make them produce even more stomach acid. As for the canines themselves, they still got to enjoy tasty regular meals, even if they never quite figured out that the food couldn't possibly fill them up. Pavlov said, You can collect on any day or every day from a dog thus operated upon a couple of hundred cubic centimeters of juice without apparent injury to its health. That is to say, you can procure gastric juice from a dog almost as milk is obtained from a cow. Pavlov wasn't just gathering fluid for his own research, though. He knew there was a big market for pepsin, an ingredient in dogs' stomach acids. Pharmacists prescribed pepsin for indigestion, and they were willing to pay well. So now that Pavlov could regularly get as much liquid as he needed, he funded his research by selling the excess acid. It was a vicious cycle. He collected digestive juices for money. He used the money to find new and creative ways to study dogs' digestive systems. By now, he knew how to keep his subjects alive, but it wasn't much of a life. The canines were constantly in and out of surgery. They couldn't eat normally. They spent most of their days standing still in a box while Pavlov poked and prodded and drew fluids from their bodies. But in spite of all these drawbacks, Pavlov's methods worked. He proved that animal bodies were more than the sum of their parts. Each organ in a system communicated with all the others. The mind and the body were linked as one. And that concept had the power to transform the medical community. His research on digestive organs earned Ivan Pavlov the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine in 1904. But even then, 55-year-old Pavlov wasn't satisfied. He knew that neurology influenced biology, but he still didn't have a clear sense of how or why. So, in the pursuit of understanding the body even better, he turned to a new field, psychology. This was a radical change of perspective. For his entire career, Pavlov had focused on what could be replicated, what was observable, what had a biological explanation. But no matter what he theorized, Pavlov kept coming back to the same conclusion. Biology and neurology were inextricably linked. So he sought to unlock the inner workings of the mind the same way he'd uncovered the mechanisms of dog bodies. And his findings made him and his dogs famous.
Up next, Pavlov discovers the connection between dog biology and psychology. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips at last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XE and Juvederm Ultra XE, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XE or Juvederm Ultra XE. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all gel fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit www.juvederm.com. Now, back to the story. In 1904, 55-year-old researcher Ivan Pavlov won the Nobel Prize for his discoveries about physiology. He'd learned a lot about the connection between the mind and body thanks to the painful, callous, and at times brutal experiments he performed on dogs. And during those studies, he'd noticed some unexpected dog behavior. All of the laboratory technicians who fed the dogs wore matching lab coats. Pavlov realized that the canines would begin salivating at the sight of the lab coats, even if the person wearing it had no food. Now, dogs can't control their own drool. No matter how long you train your pet, they'll never salivate on command. But Pavlov believed the salivation could be controlled indirectly. He trained the dogs to form a mental association between food and an unrelated stimulus. Then, maybe the dogs would drool every time they heard or saw that signal. Pavlov placed each dog in a sealed room. Let's imagine one of his subjects was a young mutt named Elena. She wasn't allowed to see, smell, or hear anything outside of her quarters. This way, nothing random could make her mouth water. To prevent Elena from wandering around the room, she was strapped into a harness. A tube was surgically implanted into her salivary glands, and the saliva was drained away into a measuring bottle. Every experiment needs a control group. It may seem odd to test something when you already know the outcome, but that's part of the scientific method. Never making assumptions unless you have evidence to support them. So before he could make predictions about why dogs salivated without food, Pavlov had to show that they would salivate with food. He passed small pieces of meat through a hatch into Elena's room. As soon as she saw and smelled the food, she began to drool. Next, Pavlov made Elena listen to a buzzer sound and measured her salivation levels. As you might expect, her mouth didn't water. 
Again, it might seem surprising that he'd run a test where he already knew the outcome. But Pavlov followed the scientific method. Finally, he conditioned the dogs. That meant he wanted them to think of food every time they heard the buzzer. So every time he fed Elena, he made the sound. Finally, once the conditioning was complete, he presented her with the buzzer sound but didn't give her food. All the dogs began to salivate nine seconds after hearing the buzzer and produced 11 drops of saliva. His hypothesis was right. Dogs could be conditioned to have a biological response to an unrelated stimulus. To explain why that was a big deal, we'll have to explain how conditioning is different from ordinary dog training. Let's say every time you're about to take your dog for a walk, you put on your tennis shoes and grab the leash. One day, you decide it's time to clean out the closet, so you pull everything out. The moment your pooch sees that your shoes and the leash are in your hands, he runs straight for the front door. You're not actually going for a walk, but your dog has an association between walks, shoes, and leashes. But this is an association he can control. If you tell your dog to stop and stay before he reaches the door, he has the option of obeying you. That's ordinary training. Pavlov's experiment was different because it wasn't just about the dog's behavior. It was about a biological response. The dogs didn't choose to salivate. They just did. And if Pavlov had ordered them to stop drooling, they wouldn't be able to control that either. Unlike your dog running to the door when he sees his leash, Pavlov's dogs had an unconscious biological reaction. And even though the dogs couldn't control it, Pavlov could, by teaching them to associate the buzzing sound and food. It meant that any scientist could hack a person's body using psychology. This was the discovery of classical conditioning, and it was about to make Pavlov more influential than ever before. He laid out his findings in his books, 1897's Work of the Digestive Glands, 1927's Conditioned Reflexes, and 1928's Lectures on Conditioned Reflexes, Volume 1. And, just as he'd hoped, other researchers built on his theories. Eventually, an entire school of psychological thought appeared. Classical conditioning, a form of psychotherapy that reinforces good behaviors and gets rid of bad behaviors. Just like how Pavlov's dogs learned to salivate by being exposed to food and buzzers, people could train themselves to quit smoking, manage anxiety, or overcome crippling phobias. Ironically, Pavlov, the harsh researcher and difficult colleague, helped a lot of people overcome stress and personal issues. He just helped them indirectly by stumbling on a key piece of information about psychology. As for the dogs themselves, they didn't get as happy an ending. By the early 1940s, Russia was at war with Germany. Leningrad, where Pavlov conducted his experiments at the time, was under siege, and citizens couldn't get food in or out. Through it all, Pavlov and his team tried to keep their spirits up, even though they were starving. 
In the past, he'd kept a small potato garden outside the lab, but by 1944, even that wasn't enough to keep everyone well-fed. Eventually, Pavlov's dogs were killed and eaten by the hungry staff and students at the Leningrad Physiological Institute. It is unclear how many dogs Pavlov experimented on in his lifetime, or what their personalities were like, but some later researchers tried to find out. In 2003, a scientist named Tim Tully set out to learn the names of Pavlov's dogs. Pavlov had never named the canines in his scientific journals or books. Given how focused he was on science above emotion, he might not have named them at all. But Tully was driven to find an answer. He was a scientist too, a neurologist, and he knew how hard it was for even the most stoic researchers to maintain distance from their subjects. Even a man as hardened and driven as Pavlov must have given names to some of his patients. With some digging, Tully found one reference to a dog named Bierka, a Polish word that translates roughly to pickup sticks. A colleague uncovered a few more aliases while reviewing Pavlov's personal notes. But the big breakthrough came after Tully traveled to St. Petersburg, where Pavlov had performed some of his earlier studies. There, Tully eventually discovered a photo album with pictures of 35 of Pavlov's dogs. Names were written below each photo. Box, Diana, Ikar, Martik, Rex, Tungus, the list went on. The fact that Pavlov named at least 35 of his dogs suggested that he viewed them as more than just experimental subjects. He probably tried to tamp that emotion down as much as he could. His studies would have been nearly impossible if he really loved the dogs. But based on the names in the photo album, perhaps Pavlov wasn't a heartless monster. He may have consciously stayed emotionally detached because he had to. Presumably, the 35 dogs in the album were only some of his subjects. Many dogs, especially in the first few years, died quickly, too quickly for Pavlov to take a photo or give them a name. But somewhere along the way, after years or decades of working alongside furry friends, Pavlov grew a heart. Sadly, we can't discuss his studies or his dogs without talking about the great losses that were suffered. There were canine subjects who died, and subjects who lived long, painful lives. Beloved pets taken from their homes, and hungry mutts who met their fate at the hands of hungrier lab workers. But at least their sacrifices helped the greater good. Countless people have been treated by the various therapies Pavlov's discoveries made possible. Whether it was quitting smoking through aversion therapy or curing a chronic fear with systematic desensitization, Pavlov's dogs are heroes. Even though they may not have understood why their trials and tribulations were important, Pavlov's subjects did something that millions of other dogs have done throughout history. They made people's lives better, richer, and happier merely by being where they were needed. 
thanks for listening to Dog Tales. Every dog has his day, and our day is Mondays. We'll be back then with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Dog Tales for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dog Tales on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week for another good story about a good dog. Dog Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Dog Tales was written by Amanda Hofseth with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Alastair Murdoch.